Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Have you ever thought, boy, do I have a great idea for a book or a play or a movie? And you think, what, what a great thing, and you can write it up and you, you look at it and you go, this is really something people are going to love it. But the question is, how do you get them interested in that? And there's something that you're going to learn about today that is crucial to that, and it's a fascinating book. Our guest is James Doc Mason. He's known as Doc. And he's just written a book. It's called Mastering the Logline, How to Excite Hollywood in a Single Sentence. Boy, that sounds like manna from heaven when I hear that for people that (laughs) want to write a book and so forth. Also, he's a screenwriter, producer, consultant. He's also the co-writer of the 2021 feature thriller Caged. Well, Doc, welcome. What a great idea. And have you had heard from people saying, oh my gosh, thank you for this? Because it's one of those things that people don't think about, but as you write in the book, it's very important. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And uh, yes, I have had some uh, great response so far to this. Uh, from um, Well, the forward was written by Christopher Lockhart, who is the senior story editor at William Morris uh, Endeavor. And uh, he calls it the most thorough and comprehensive examination of blog lines that he's ever come across. Um, wow. And, uh, I mean, he gave me three pages of a forward that just, you know, I'm over the moon with, uh, with uh, what he had to say and how he sets up my book perfectly. Because what he really says is that uh, the logline is not only a descriptive thing, it doesn't just describe the story, it's also a diagnostic tool, a way to see, a way to see into the story, and as he calls it, uh, how to divine the strengths and weaknesses of the story, just from a single sentence. That's why it excites Hollywood so much. <laughs> yeah, and I even thought, as I looked at this, this is great for the business world, for anything you're doing, because ultimately it comes to that. And this obviously is made specifically for writing a script, but at the same time, we all have stories and so forth. And that first sentence, that most important thing, really becomes crucial because, as you say later, and we're going to talk about it, uh, the whole key is don't be boring when you write. Well, if, if you can't get them on the first sentence, you're going to have a hard time on page 25. Exactly. Well, when you're describing a story, uh, it's best to be brief. You know, have you ever had the experience where you're telling somebody about a movie you saw and, you know, 15 minutes later they go, yeah, but what is, what's it about? Right, right. <laughs> you know, so here we're trying to describe uh, the central conflict of a story in a way that is very brief and succinct and um there's a, uh, I love the way Danny Manis, he's a, a script consultant, uh, he described it as, he describes my book as um, not a how-to book on how to write a formulaic logline, but a deep, tuto- deep tutorial on character development and conflict-forward storytelling. Uh, what he does, he describes the logline as a uh, sellable and succinct uh, uh, sentence. That's a key word there, is sellable. You've got to be able to convey um that story, but not just the story, 
you know, in, in, in business, like my real world uh, job is I'm an advertising executive. So we're trying to get across the message as fast as possible in, a, in an advertising. But when we're talking to our client, we need to be succinct and sellable as well. Understanding, you know, the core uh, of the story you're trying to tell, whether it's an advertisement or a pitch or a book or a screenplay. It's, it's interesting you say that because as you think about the way advertising has developed and so forth, this makes all the sense in the world. If you look at an old magazine, and I love to do this, in the 50s and the 60s, you see lots and mm-hmm. lots of text and so forth. And now it is that key line. People remember that thing, you know, whether it's uh, Coke and a smile and so forth. You can explain the other stuff mm-hmm. later, but you got to set the – you're kind of setting the viewer or the client's uh, taste for that. Yeah, and in the book, I describe things that are not a log line, and uh, one of those things is a tagline, um, and that is, you know, a Coke and a smile. Or thing. Another thing is uh, that's not a log line is a premise, and this is the general idea, the basic concept of a story, uh, and those things are necessary for selling to the audience, right? Yeah. Uh, but just as just as important is understanding. Um, or the, the link between the audience uh, and the author. The, the writer uh, has to be able to convey to their audience um, exactly what they want. Well, I, I think it's important to explain exactly what you mean when you say logline, because as, as mm-hmm. you just said, it's not necessarily a tagline and so forth. So when you're telling somebody that, I mean, it, it's more than just, well, this is what it's about. It's a little more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, so let's get back to describing the logline as uh, a tool for uh, for the for the screenwriter. It's basically a one sentence description of the central conflict in a story, uh, and the central conflict is a very specific thing in uh, narrative storytelling. Uh, it's uh, the uh, conflict that is resolved in the climax, and the climax uh, is um, is a result of um, the goal that the character sets. And the the character sets the goal because of, um, you know, their status quo is interrupted. In other words, to say it uh, more succinctly, it is all of these elements working together to describe the story, and they're all interconnected. But uh, there are different types of uh, main characters, and there's different types of opposition. And so uh, the writer has to learn how to shape the story using those uh, elements of story uh, with the kind of um, main character and opposition that they might have. So I, with that being said, a logline is a single sentence of about 35 words that defines the story's central conflict through context and setting, a flawed main character, their opposition, the trigger, the stakes, goal, and tone. Now that seems may seem impossible uh, to do in just 35 words. However, this is what the book is about. This is why it's called Mastering the Logline, because I show you in a very concrete way and step-by-step, step, and I hold your hand as you go through and do it for yourself. And I provide uh, tons and tons of examples in the book about uh, exactly how to do it. Well, I think this is really fascinating, particularly this whole concept of conflict. You wrote a great article, and you can get a if you want to get a feel of uh, how Doc writes and so forth. I think you should go there. It's creativescreenwriting.com forward slash mastering 
conflict in screenwriting. And you can put dashes between the words there, mastering conflict in screenwriting. And what you write is fascinating. I read it once, and then I sent, I couldn't get it out of my head, so I went back and read it again. And with your permission, I kind of want to go through a movie that almost everybody has seen, so they're aware of this, and show how this is exactly right. And I thought came to me was It's a Wonderful Life. We all see it at Christmas time. And that's all got all these different types of conflict. And as you go through it piece by piece, it's really all about that. So how do you take a movie that lasts two and a half hours? Well, you got to get it down to the point, right, where you know you understand who George Bailey is and why all these conflicts and how there's a meaning and so forth, right? So you can do that with all these movies and so forth, but you got to look at it in that way around conflict. Right. Uh, so when we're def- when we're describing conflict, we're describing um, usually describing the central conflict because there are. I have to break it up. Um, first of all. Uh, we're talking about narrative conflict, not just the conflict we have in our daily lives, because uh, that doesn't have a lot of the elements of story. We may find it interesting, but nobody else might, you know? Right. So um, so when we're talking about narrative conflict, uh, there is the conflict that's at the story level, and then there's conflict which is at the scene or sequence level. Uh, and uh, the scene level conflict uh, may be driven by another character. It's just, it's what I call a minor conflict. So the major conflict is the central conflict that, that defines the story. And uh, so that allows us to um, understand uh, conflict in a different way because where the minor conflicts don't necessarily have to interact with the other elements. At the story level, it needs to be driven by the main character. At the scene and sequence level, it can be driven by any character who is um, who's providing the narrative thrust to get us to the next thing. Uh, the purpose of every conflict, you know, regardless of the POV, is um, let, to let us know whether our character is getting closer to their story level objective or uh, getting farther away. And the audience needs to be aware of that. They have to have a sense of that in order to be engaged with the story. If they're not engaged with with where they are in the story, they're not engaged with the story at all. <laughs> well, so, so using the It's a Wonderful Life uh, example sure. then, is that kind of a thing where you would say the conflict there is Jimmy Stewart's really, is he having a wonderful life or is his life miserable? And he's kind of, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, but the right thing doesn't seem to work out. And for most of the movie, it kind of looks like it's going to go that way and then it doesn't, it's totally answered in the end. Is that how you look at it? Is that the conflict there or am I missing something? Well, no, you always... Um, I always look to the to the uh, climax of the story. Uh, what is uh, what is the climax? The climax is uh, well, essentially, it's when the character runs out of time or options. Like at the end of Wonder- "It's a Wonderful Life," he has to realize uh, his value in in the world. So, um, so he's been a resistant character throughout the entire thing. He's not a standard protagonist with with a goal. Uh-huh. And so it's um, that's one of the elements that we talk about in the book is um, if you try to make George Bailey fit into a protagonist model, he's going to completely fail the model. But if you if you set him up as a resistor character who doesn't have necessarily uh, huge stakes throughout the story, he's got one gigantic stake that we're you know we're headed towards whether he commits suicide or not, which is you know pretty deep you know. It, but that's context we have for the entire story where we're seeing how he has not recognized the value he has provided to his family and to his community. Uh, and will he recognize that in time? 
is the central conflict of the story. And of course, in the end, he does recognize that. Uh, and, uh, and there's this rapturous reconnection with his family at the end. And they must be thinking, you know, this dude was going to kill himself. <laughs> and he comes back from his walk <laughs> and he's happy as little, you know. More with James Stock Mason, author of Mastering the Logline, How to Excite Hollywood with a Single Sentence, in just a moment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm John Katsalamidis of the Las Vegas Review Journal on page 3A every day and online all the time. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-344-2066. 800-344-2066. That's 800-344-2066. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Quentin Tarantino is a modern-day auteur. To gain this imprimatur, a director must create a new style, displaying elements which become uniquely his own, perhaps even changing the future direction of cinema. Tarantino can check all of these boxes. He created a new form of noir, with heightened violence, stylized dialogue, and signature scene structures, all of which emerged in his first film, Reservoir Dogs. It's a little film, big on style. It's the story of a robbery gone wrong by a group of perpetrators who go by assumed names based upon colors. Once the robbery goes bad, the survivors try to get to the bottom of who sold them out. In a classic, though brutal scene, Michael Madsen playing Mr. Blonde enjoys torturing a captured policeman while he cavorts to a tune by Stegler's Wheel. Offensive? Yes. Classic? Definitely. The story works, but it serves as palette more than compelling driver. It's the elements, the stylized dialogue, the iconic music, the heightened violence, and the perfect casting of such notables as Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, and Harvey Keitel that mix together to make up a sum far more than its simplistic storyline. Reservoir Dogs. If you can stomach the violence, witness the birth of a film auteur. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with screenwriter James Doc Mason, author of Mastering the Logline, How to Excite Hollywood with a Single Sentence. Another thing you wrote in your article, and I thought, boy, that really stands out because kind of my mentor in this business, she kept telling me over and over, the one thing is don't be boring. And you say the same thing. You can't be boring. And I, I guess that's really, and this kind of helps you stay on that line, right? Because if you can't make it uh, and put that log line together, then quite frankly, it probably is going to be boring. Right. Well, so you said something earlier. Uh, you asked the question, why? Uh, you were asking it in context of other things, but why do we have to understand our main character? 
uh, why do we have to understand their goal? Why do we have to, what is meaningful about uh, their stakes? What causes the story to start in the first place is called a trigger. Some people call it an inciting incident, but why is it meaningful? So the, the question we should, as writers, should always be asking is why? And conveying that to the audience keeps them engaged. And that all goes back to that conflict. You have to care, and you're going to care if there is some conflict. I guess regardless of what side of the conflict you're on, you care, and that right. and that makes it interesting. Right. That's um, m- meaningful conflict, right? This is, again, a narrative conflict where, we, uh, where we're not boring because we care about it. Now, um, the, the question of, you know, who the main character is and who the opposition is uh, is going to be answered uh, in the book. But I'm also writing an article article for Creative Screenwriting Magazine specifically on whose story is it? And that's a big deal in when you're writing a logline. You have to write it from the main character's perspective. And who the question the question of who the main character is uh, is, you know, I'd say most of the time it's pretty obvious. But there are times when it's not, or when we're not sure what kind of main character they are, type of main character. So uh, that's one of the things when we talk about the elements of storytelling uh, is really understanding how your main character uh, interacts with the other uh, elements. That's what makes them the main From a process standpoint, then, so you have all these things, you've got your writing down, you've got the log line that you want. How does that work? I mean, is that presented before the script? Is it presented with the script? Uh, is it something where you use that where you're trying to generate some interest? And then, oh, here you go. Here's what I've got there. How does that go? That's a great question. Um, so the answer is all of the above. <laughs> it can be used as, um, well, let's just say the primary reason uh, for the, the, is in the subtitle. Of how to excite Hollywood in a single sentence. That is to uh, excite the potential industry professional to actually pick up your script and read it. Now, I say there's four promises uh, that get a script read. Uh, so one is to have a really kick-ass um, premise, um, you know, this general idea. And a premise, again, does not have the specifics of uh, conflict. So it's just going to be like that marketable idea, like a lawyer that can't lie, <laughs> you know, uh, like uh, liar, liar. Right. Uh, and then there is, um, let me go to the other two before I get to log line. There's reputation. So if you are a well-known writer, uh, you know, people will agree to read your script. You don't have to do much work. You don't, you know, they'll just... They'll give you, know, you the benefit of the doubt, paper. right, based on your... Sure. You know, if you're Tarantino, everybody's going to read it regardless of anything else. It's written by Tarantino. So uh, reputation and then recommendation is um, the third promise and that promise of, hey, I read this script. You have to read this. Man, I'm staking my reputation uh, that this is a good story on behalf of the writer. When a agent reads a script, uh, they want to get uh, their client to, uh, to read the actor to read the script. They're going to present them with a log line. Uh, and so that's. Uh, recommendation, right? So um, you need to get the agent to read the script first, but you know it's it's working along the process of uh, of pre development. The logline then becomes uh, vital for explaining the 
character and uh, the plot. So you have those four things, and now all of a sudden that script goes from you know getting into the pile to getting to the top of the pile. That's why you need a great logline, a kick-ass logline, is to actually get them to crack the script, you know, open the file, or <laughs> actually turn the page. Uh, but then after it's read, uh, then it has to go through the process of, like we talked about getting to actors, getting them to, to agree to, to read it, uh, or to potential investor. This is the movie we're making, right? Or in production, in pre-production, we use the logline to all stay on the same page, right? This is the movie we're making. So it's used in all of those things. But one of the best things that it can be used for is this, what I talked about early, is uh, the diagnostic aspect of it. And that is, if a logline is failing in one of the elements, we can therefore go to the script and say, this is where it's problematic in the script. Because it's, if there's a problem in one, there's most likely a problem in the other. And if you're having a problem writing a logline, it could be that you're having a problem in the, in the story. Because I say that if you can write a great story, you absolutely 100% can write a great logline. And it's got to help, too, I would think, later on after everything's completed, with a promotion because it's the idea, it's part of the reason you're going to want to see that film. It could. It, absolutely. Um, so a, a lot of time, marketing people kind of go back to the idea of the premise because that's an easier, more digestible blurb. Right, one sentence description of the premise as opposed to the plot and the characters. Right. Uh, however, I think that they work in combination. Like, if you had two sentences, um, that one had the premise and one had the logline, uh, man, that is a powerful combination for uh, for a synopsis of a a very 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 short synopsis of a story. One last thing I want to cover with you. I know you love classic movies, right? And, and, and oh. as I'm going through all your stuff, I'm thinking, okay, this makes sense, you know, because you've, you've kind of dissected movie making and so forth. When you watch those things, I assume you're like I am. You love Turner classic movies. I, I always find mm -hmm. gems that I never even heard of, but it just kind of sounded interesting the way they, the way they described it. Do you always uh, kind of mm -hmm. go through that and think to yourself, wow, okay, and kind of picture what, what your uh, – what your line would have been actually had you done it and kind of seen like, well, maybe with what all we know about conflict, something, maybe there's some things that maybe I could have done a little differently. I think that's always the case, right? You know, I think writing is a subjective thing. You can have two stories that are exactly the same in terms of plot and character. Uh, and they're going to be different because the writer has their own perspective on, on the world. And so they're going to bring or emphasize different themes and uh, or emphasize some other thing like 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 tone, right? So all these things are different with the same exact plot, the same exact characters. It's an interesting thing when it, when the same director makes the movie twice. The Love Story is um, um, a movie that came out in the '30s. So the story is by uh, Leo Carey. Um, uh, and called Love Affair, and then it was remade in the 50s. That's the more familiar movie, which is called An Affair to Remember. Oh, yeah. Anybody that's seen Sleepless in Seattle knows that right, movie. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Warren Beatty and Annette Benning made this unbelievably beautiful version of it. It didn't have nearly the chemistry that, uh, the, um, that An Affair to Remember had. 
but um, you know, it was um, Catherine Hepburn's last movie. It, it's just such a, a a beautiful story, and and yeah, and so when two movies come out at the same time uh, that are essentially the same story, like Volcano and Asteroid movies or whatever, mm-hmm. there we accept that because you know it's how the stories told matter. I know you like to say humans owe our entire existence to storytelling, right? So yeah, this is all about (laughs) storytelling. It's all about storytelling, right? I mean, that's really all all this is about. I like to say that um, we owe our entire existence to storytelling as a, as a, as a species of, you know, you know, we rose in our ability to share our knowledge and our wisdom of uh, hunting and gathering and things like that. And, um, and when you look at the cave drawings, I can imagine that as the very first uh, interactive multimedia experience, right? Like, right. You know, <laughs> the guy comes back from the hunt and describes the hunt and everybody's like, wow. And then, it, you know, this third person storytelling comes into existence when there was, uh, when people start telling stories about other people's, you know, massive hunts. These guys did it right. We have to do it like that. Do you find, too, that it's almost better to not hear what the writer had in mind and stuff till after you've seen the film yourself? Because I, I think three people can look at the same film and get three different meanings out of it. So you don't want to tell them that. And kind of a, it's one route where you can take whatever route you want and then you can figure out later, well, that isn't what I had in mind, but it's another way of looking at it. Well, I take that one step further and I say uh, nobody can watch the same movie twice. That is, uh, they're going to their life circumstances are going to change, and they're going to interpret what they uh, uh, what they see differently. Not only because they already know what happened, there's no suspense when you're watching a movie a second time, but you you as a person has changed, and so your interpretation of what you're seeing changes. So no movie can be watched uh, by any two people. Uh, you know they'll have their own perspective, their own interpretation, and that same person in a year or in 10 years. Like I go back and I watch um, movies that I love, like for instance, Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, we watch it a thousand times. Why do we do it? And, you know, it's not like we don't know the story, uh, but it, every time we watch it again, it's nostalgia. First of all, there's, you know, there's, um, there's looking for things that uh, clues that kind of uh, fit into the bigger picture. Now that we have nine movies and a, several TV shows. How does the, um, the world fit together when you're looking at the original? When Leia kisses Luke in the first one, you know, that now kind of seems kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, but we wouldn't have known that in the first time. So the, the experience is different. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And in fact, you know, getting back yeah. to what, what I said at the beginning, I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. I do. And mm-hmm. what you do is, okay, you know what's going to happen. You know the whole thing. And yet there are little parts where maybe you miss one line or you go, wow, that was really interesting that this happened. That makes a lot of sense as I think of it, which you would never would have caught in the first <laughs> several times you saw a film. Rushing past you at 24 frames a second, you don't have time to absorb everything. So <laughs> you yeah, that's a, a great point. And, and yeah, so when I'm analyzing an old film, uh, or what more specifically, when I'm analyzing a film that didn't work for me, whether it's old or new, mm-hmm. I, can, uh, I can go to these elements of story and find out 
why is it failing and uh, and where is it failing? Because, uh, you know, like I said earlier, if you're trying to make uh, a resistor character fit into a protagonist mold, it's just not going to work. The writer needs to have an understanding of how those elements work together because the audience may not be able to, you know, voice why they didn't like it, but they have an innate sense of um, when a story isn't working. If you enjoy film, you can see you got to have this book. I mean, it's fantastic, and it's well beyond just learning how to master the logline, although I think that's crucial, and that's the name of the book, so you want to get it. It's Mastering the Logline, How to Excite Hollywood in a Single Sentence. And I've got to ask you, Doc, what's the best way for people to get a hold of the book? Well, you can go to MasteringTheLogline.com, and there you can find, uh, well, uh, a link to... Amazon. Amazon. It's available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. If you're a writer or you want to be a writer, and we all sort of want to be a writer, you need this book. I mean, you absolutely need this. This will help you put all this together. So uh, I totally recommend it. Doc, thank you so much for being with us. We hope to have you on again sometime. Anytime. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including X, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Madge reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt, that's what you do. It's not your fault, it's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-284-1349. That's 800-284-1349. Holy gentle giants, dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can, too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Attention timeshare owners, call the timeshare exit hotline now. We can help you legally get out of your expensive timeshare contract. 
If you're fed up with the maintenance fees, learn how you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently. Call right now for your free consultation, 800-803-5449, Greece is cheap, but the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer, and again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-430-7923. That's 800-430-7923. 